Hello, and thank you for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If you enjoy this message, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. But since I'm a preacher, please open your Bibles to James, the fourth chapter. We are making our way through this very wonderful book of James. And this morning, we'll read the first six verses. And this will be a part one and part two message. We, we won't cover everything in the text this morning, but we'll pick up right where we leave off and do that next Sunday. James chapter four, and we'll begin reading in verse one. Now, I, I told you last week this book was harsh and in your face. Well, we have come to one of the most abrasive passages you'll ever find in God's Word. I mean, it is a scathing rebuke for all those who call themselves Christians but continue to pursue the things of the world. In the passage we're about to read, James identifies the problem in the lives of many Christians and churches. And then thankfully, he doesn't stop there. He points out the answer. And that's what we want to see this morning. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture say in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, first of all, this tells us that church fighting, bickering, and fussing is nothing new. It's been going on from the beginning. Some of the very letters that were written, the epistles, that went out and were circulated among the churches revealed to us They had started fighting real, real early. I don't know if you've ever been in a church fight, but God bless you if you haven't. But most of us have. I was pastoring a church one time, and this church got in a fight over a coffee pot. I'm not exaggerating. See, this is what happened. The kitchen committee... The kitchen committee purchased a coffee pot without consulting the powers that were running the church. You know, almost all churches have a matriarch or patriarch. 
And if you do anything, you've got to clear it with the matriarch or the patriarch or you're in trouble. But they forgot to do that. I think it would have all been well and good had they simply let them know and asked them, but they just went out and did it on their own. The audacity that the kitchen committee would go buy a coffee pot with church funds and not say anything to anybody else, but that's exactly what they did. And I'm telling you, it made everybody in the church mad. They got upset and they started choosing sides and, and, and it was, are you on the, the kitchen committee side or you're on the controlling power side of the church? Now, I'm a coffee drinker, so automatically I was, I was with the kitchen that's the side. Really, I know you may think I'm making this up, but years later, after I left that church, I was asking somebody about the church, and, and so help me, they said, you know, they're still mad about that coffee pot. <laughs> really? Really? I mean, that, that is, that's crazy. Some crazy, weird things go on in the church. And, and this is what James is addressing. Some years ago, I heard the story of a, of a major leading church here in America, the pastor was in his sermon, he was preaching and, and he was really just delivering the word. And all of a sudden, a guy stands up in the congregations and, and begins to shout him down and starts making threats and telling him that he's going to hurt the preacher. And then he, he gets so worked up, he, he runs out of the pew into the aisle and starts running toward the preacher, threatening to hurt the preacher. And the preacher's perplexed. He doesn't know what to do. You know, I can't fight this guy. I mean, how's that going to look? And, and if I run, I'll look like a coward. So he just braced himself. He just kind of braced himself. He said, oh, sake, he's going to hit me. And so I'll just take it. And, and then there was kind of a blur right out of the corner of his eye. And, and he hears this. And then he hears something hit the, the rostrum. And what had happened was, is there was a man in the choir loft, in a choir robe, who was a golden glove boxer. <laughs> he jumps the rail, gown and all, and just clocks the guy. Knocks him out cold. He's there, lying on the, the stage. Now, that's a good church member right there. pastor looked at him, he said, I, I wasn't going to let anybody hit my preacher. Got to take care of my preacher. You, you know, I, I, I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? I, I, you reckon anybody went home that day? Can you imagine the tension in the house? Do you think maybe anybody went home that day and, and said, man, what a sweet service we had today. <laughs> oh, man, it was a love feast. No, it was a slug fest. I... I I, I don't know, I never heard the rest of the story, but I'll bet you nobody got saved, nobody rededicated their lives. Nobody stood and praised and glorified God like we're doing today. There's just some, some, some sad stuff that goes on. And, and, and I'll tell you, if you work on staff at a church, whew, you, begin to, you begin to learn it. We've had all kinds of things said about us. We've had all kinds of things that were just mean-spirited. And, and it's not just us, it happens everywhere. I, one of the worst things that happened is somebody literally called the church office one day wanting to speak with me and nobody answered. So they left a message on the answering machine and it was a death threat against me as the pastor. 
Now, how smart are you to leave a death threat on an answering machine? Really, we called the sheriff's department, filed a report. They came down and listened to it. A death threat. My goodness. I'm telling you, the enemy will not rest. He's constantly attacking. He's always trying to stir up trouble. And most of the time, all he needs is one real, receptive, backslidden Christian to do a great deal of damage. I'll tell you one more story. One night, it was just right after dark, there was a knock at my back door. And I went to the door and I opened the door and there was a man standing there. I've known him my whole life. Right here in Wakala County, a man standing there. I said, how you doing? Come on in. He said, no, I want you to come outside. I said, well, okay. I'm just thinking, okay, he's got something personal he wants to talk to me about and he doesn't want anybody to know about it. So we stepped outside and I said, what, what can I do for you? He said, well, I just want to tell you, I've come to whip you tonight. I said, really? He said, yes, sir, I'm going to whip you right here. He said, I'm going to whip you right here in your yard. I said, well, do you mind telling me why? He said, well, it's what you've been preaching and what you've been teaching and what you've been saying. I said, really? He said, yep, I'm going to whip you right here. Now, I got to tell you, just I grew up, I was taught when I was growing up, a man that talks about fighting doesn't do a lot of fighting. So I really wasn't all that worried. But because I knew he was just talking. But anyway, I'm, I'm thinking, my mind is thinking, you know, in the book of Proverbs, it says that there's a time for everything. So I'm thinking, okay. I, I wasn't thinking about this when I accepted the call into the ministry, but um, maybe we need a little ministry here this afternoon. So, um, so help me, I'm not making this up. I stood, I could take you to the very place where I was standing, and I said to him, I said, okay, this is what you want, let's do it. But I said, but first, there are two things I need to share with you. I said, and then after I share these with you, we can get it on. I said, the first thing I want to share with you is this. I don't think you can do it. I said, I'm real serious. I don't think you can do it. I said, I know you may think I'm soft and weak, but I flat don't think you can do it. I said, you can try if you want to, but I don't think you can do it. I, I don't think you'd take it under consideration. You, you know, what they say about red-headed people really is true. When they get mad, they're borderline crazy. And, 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 and I, I tell you, I, I grew up, you know, I got it two ways. I'm redheaded and I came from a borderline crazy family anyway. And, and, and I'm thinking, you know what? He's going to make me mad here in a minute and it's going to get crazy. And I just felt like I, I owed it to him. To, by the way, let me just say this. That was another good reason why I needed to get saved. If, if, if you go crazy on occasions, I recommend to you a, a real good salvation experience because you need to get that stuff behind you. And it had been behind me all these years, but here I am now face to face with this guy and, and he's telling me he's going to whip me and I just said, buddy, I just don't think you can do it. I'm being real honest with you. I said, okay. And he said, wait, wait. What's number two? And I said, well, number two, I'm serious. It's verbatim. I remember this verbatim. I said, number two is this. If you do whip me right here in my yard, 
your problem's not going to go away. Because I'm not your problem. I said, the enemy is lying to you. I am not your problem. I don't think you can do it, but if you whip me, your problem's not going to go away. It's just going to get worse. And I said, what's even worse than that is I'm not your enemy. I'm trying to help you. And I said, so, so tell me, why would you come and want to whip somebody who's trying to help you? By the way, do you understand the enemy will cause you to turn against the very people who love you? The enemy will cause you to get in the face of the very people who are trying to help you. I said, so, so tell me why you would want to whip somebody who loves you and wants to help you. And so help me, he looked at me and he said, I don't know. And I said, then why don't we skip the fighting part and why don't we just pray together? We might get more done that way. And I'm serious, when I tell you, he looked at me and he said, okay. So we prayed together and he left. Now, I, I, we could go on with these stories. I've, I, I have dozens of these stories and every pastor who's been in the ministry a long time has these stories. But here's what I want to say to you. This is nothing new. This has been going on from the beginning. The enemy is constantly trying to stir up trouble in the household of faith. And James is addressing a very serious situation here. James is saying these wars and fightings that are going on among you. These things are taking place because of your selfish pursuit of pleasure. He's saying that's, that's what the, the problem is. And then he says to them, he says, you're full of lust. He's talking to a church now. He's talking to the people of God. I challenge you, go through the book of James. He calls them brethren, sisters. He's talking to Christians. He says, you're full of lust. By the way, the lust he's talking about is the lust for their own way. The lust for things that gratify them. The lust for their way as opposed to God's way. And then he says to them, he says, you are murderers. Your church is full of murderers. You can do your own Bible study, but, but the Bible tells us whoever hates his brother is a murderer. You see, in God's eyes, you don't have to actually commit the act of murder to be a murderer. All you have to do is just hate your brother. And that's what James is saying. James says you're full of lust. You're full of murder. And if he had stopped right there, it would have been a bad report on this church. But it even gets worse. This is what he says. He says, adulterers and adulteresses. And it's amazing that he puts it that way because he's lumping all of them together, men and women. And he's saying, you are so immoral and so unfaithful to your God. You're more concerned about friendship with the world than you are friendship with God. And nothing satisfies you. You lust and do not have. You covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war and it achieves nothing. And the way you're praying gets you nothing. He was saying you should be praying about the problems you have in your church. But when you do pray, it's all about you. It's all about your pleasure. It's all about your desires. It's all about what you want. And James is saying it shouldn't be that way. Now to state the obvious, friends, this is not one of those light, fluffy, sweet, cotton candy sermons that makes everybody feel good even though they're continuing in their sin. I'd like to say that again. I'd like for you to listen up. This is not one of those light, fluffy, sweet, cotton candy sermons 
that makes everybody feel good even while they're still in their sin. You know, we got a lot of that kind of preaching going on today. But you can't find it in God's Word. And we shouldn't find it in the pulpit today. The fact is, James is not trying to coddle anybody. He's not trying to make everybody happy. What James is doing is exposing the cancer of sin that too often grows in the body of Christ. He's saying this selfish, self-centered, self-serving type of sin that's going on in the body of Christ causes the church on many occasions to behave worse than the world. You know, I'm telling you, a band of thieves will stick together. A band of thieves will protect one another. But I want to tell you, there are far too many churches across America that if you go into that church and you, you cross just the wrong person, and they will kick you to the curb. They will treat you worse than the world will treat you. And James is addressing that straight up, isn't he? James says, says that shouldn't be. You see, James is painting the picture of an ugly church filled with ugly sin, actively involved in ugly things. And James, in order to share the good news, is exposing the bad news. The late Dr. Adrian Rogers said, what makes the good news of the Savior good is that the bad news of our sin is bad. Oh, friends, I want you to know the love of God that we've been singing about today is great, it's wonderful, it's marvelous. We don't need to forget the fact that sin is bad. It's extremely bad. James is saying what's going on in your church is bad. It's real bad. It's bad beyond belief. But, immediately after describing this church, immediately after identifying the problem, he points them to the answer. God's answer. Aren't you glad God's got an answer? I want to tell you, there are people all over this house this morning and their problems, and God has an answer. When there are wars and fightings among you, God has an answer. When there's a, a war going on on the inside, God has an answer. When you're living an unsatisfied life with unanswered prayer, God has an answer. When there's trouble and turmoil everywhere you look, God has an answer. When it is bad beyond belief, God has an answer. And James gives us this ugly, horrible, embarrassing picture of the church. But immediately, he points us to the answer. Here it is, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists. The proud, but gives grace to the humble. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever heard a more sinful description of a church than what I've just read to you? And then immediately after giving that description, he says, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. See, this is, this is bad. This is coveting and fighting and warring and adultery. And self-seeking and self-pleasure. And being unfaithful to God. But then James says, 
but he gives more grace. Oh, friends, do you understand what he's saying? He gives more grace. What James is saying is no matter how big the problem is, no matter how bad it is, God gives more grace. One of my favorite statements in the Bible is this. You can find it in the book of Romans. It says, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Somebody ought to shout hallelujah right there. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. I like to put it this way. What Jesus did on the cross was greater than what Satan did in the garden. That the saving work of our Savior is greater than the deceptive work of the deceiver. That when sin has done its best work, grace can do a better work. And I'm going to tell you, that's the reason we preach around here and we teach around here. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad things are in your life. Our Savior is a genuine Savior. Our Savior can change your life and turn things around. And we preach it, we believe it, and we see it on a regular basis around here. Hallelujah! Oh, friends, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. He gives more grace. Yes, your church is in a mess. Yes, there is confusion. Yes, you are destroying your church. But I've got a message for you, James says. He gives more grace. But, be careful now. Because you have to look at it in context. He gives more grace. But he makes a distinction. Notice, it says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, friends, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He's saying God gives more grace, but He doesn't give it to everybody. See, we preach a watered-down, let's-make-everybody-feel-good Gospel of grace that has nothing to do with Scripture. And we've convinced everybody that no matter what you're doing, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter how you're living, God's grace will cover it. Friends, that's not biblical grace. That's perverted grace. And it's not from heaven and it's not from the Word of God. He said, if you understand that God gives more grace, but He doesn't give it to the proud, He resists the proud, he gives grace to the humble. Man, it's, it, it's real clear here. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. As long as you keep going down, James is saying, this selfish, self-centered, sinful direction, God's not going to give you that grace. God's going to resist you. God will put His hand against you. God will be the one... Who's fighting against you? And I know somebody here today because you've heard it preached the other way so many times in your life. You're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm a Christian. God would never put His hand against me. God would never resist me. God would never be against me. Well, friends, you'd be wrong. And you're also confessing you don't know what the Bible says. Proverbs chapter 3 says, For whom the Lord loves, He chastens, even as a father the son in whom He delights. As a father cares about His son... He will chastise His Son. Hebrews, the 11th chapter in the New Testament says almost exactly the same thing. It says, 
for whom the Lord loves, he chastises, and listen, he scourges. The idea of scourging is taking a whip and putting it on the back. For whom the Lord loves, he chastises and he scourges every son that he receives. Then if you go ahead and read that 11th chapter of Hebrews, it says, and if you are without chastisement, if you are without correction, you are an illegitimate child. You're not even a child of God at all. Oh, friends. We need to wake up as a church. America needs to wake up. God's people is calling His people to walk with Him and to be holy and to come out of sin and to serve Him so that He can pour His grace out upon us. But we've been lulled to sleep by preachers that have whitewashed the truth and convinced us we can live any way we want to live and God just keeps pouring His grace out upon us. It's not so. It's not so. It doesn't happen that way. While I'm on the subject, let me just go ahead and tell you if you later if you'll turn over to first John, don't do it right now, because I don't want you to miss what I'm gonna say. You're gonna read something in first John that's called a sin unto death. By the way, a lost person can't commit the sin unto death. They've never even met the Savior. This is talking about Christians. It's talking about brothers. In fact, it says if you see a brother commit a sin that's not unto death, you can pray for him. But if he's committed a sin unto death, you might as well not even pray for him. I want to tell you something, friends. When we as Christians begin to ignore the Word of God and the truth of God, and we persist in living our own way and doing our own thing and seeking our own pleasure, I believe with all my heart we're in danger of the sin unto death. I believe we're in danger of coming to that place where God will say, I've corrected you. I've spoken to you. I've put preachers to, to call you back to me. I've done everything I can do and you just won't listen. And now I'm taking you home. Now, I do believe this. Call me old-fashioned if you want to. But I believe if a person has genuinely been born again, they've met the Savior, they belong to Him, I believe they'll go to heaven, but I believe they'll, it'll shorten their lives. I, I honestly believe I've known quite a few Christians who died prematurely because they would not come in line and do what God's Word says. I liken it to a story that I heard one time. A father looks out the back window of his house and he sees his little son and he's out there playing with the neighbor's kids and he's misbehaving. And the father goes to the back door and he, 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 says, he says, Son, I saw what you did. Don't you do that again. That's out of order. I didn't raise you that way. You know better than that. We don't behave that way. Father goes back in. A little while later, he looks out the back window and he sees his son and he's doing the same thing. He warns him a couple more times and then finally goes to the back door and he says, Come here, son. Come here. And the father takes a switch and just wears him out. And friends, I don't care what's politically correct in America or not. The Bible says, Spare the rod and spoil the child. I still believe the switch will turn things around. And this father takes a switch and he works on his son. And he says, now do I have your attention? Now you go back out there and you play right. And the boy goes back out in the yard. But he persists on misbehaving. And finally as an ultimate result of all of this, the father goes to the door and opens the door and he said, son, come on in. You can't play anymore. It's over for you. I still love you, but it's over for you. I want to tell you something, friends. I believe there will come a time when God will say to a Christian 
who's living in sin, refuses to repent of that sin, refuses to take God's word seriously, refuses to do what they should do after repeated attempts. I believe God will say, that's it. You're coming home. I'm not going to let you play anymore. You're coming home. Now, friends, what I'm trying to tell you here is James is getting in our face. The Holy Spirit through the Word of God is getting in our face and saying this is sin and you've got to do something about it. And here's what you do about it. You realize that God gives more grace but He doesn't give it to us while we're in rebellion and pride. He gives it to us when we humble ourselves before the Lord. D.L. Moody said, be humble or you will stumble. He was right. But James goes way beyond that. James says, be humble Or God Himself will resist you. I hear Christians on a regular basis. I hear Christians say, and by the way, sometimes I hear this from Christians, and I know they're not living right. I know there's sin in their lives. I I hear Christians say sometimes, you know, the devil is just fighting against me. He's just really, he's just warring against me. I just can't catch a break. Everything in my life just seems to be going wrong. My world is spinning out of control. The devil is just fighting against me. Friends, I don't say this very often. I do when I feel like I can. But I want to say, what makes you think that's the devil? Are you a Christian? Have you been born again? Are you a child of the living God? Do you belong to Him? Because if you do then you need to ask yourself this question. This may not be Satan. This may be the hand of God against me. This may be God correcting me. God chastising me. Congregation, I want to tell you today, I believe what I'm about to say with all my heart. God loves you too much to keep blessing you when you're going in the wrong direction. I mean, I mean just, just think about that for a moment. What, what parent would identify a child going in the wrong direction toward crime, toward drugs, toward immorality? Going in the wrong direction, what parent would say, Here, son, let me just give you some more money. I want to keep you happy. I want to keep you feeling good. I want to keep you encouraged while you're going in the wrong direction. God doesn't want you to be encouraged when you're going in the wrong direction. God wants you to be not encouraged, but corrected. So that He can turn you around and use that for the glory of God. I I love those last six words. But God gives grace to the humble. But God gives grace to the humble. Friends, no matter how big your problem is, God's grace is bigger. I love this. God's grace is bigger. And no matter how big your problem is, listen to me, the answer to your problem is humility. In fact, I would dare say, for 99% of us here today, the answer to the problem you're going through right now is humility. It's to humble yourself before a holy and powerful and mighty God. The answer to the problem is humility. But God gives grace to the... Pull my scripture back up, please. And just leave it up. We're down? Okay. 
Old-fashioned preaching, no help. I, uh, God gives more grace to the humble. You see, the reason I would say that the answer to whatever problem you're going through, or whatever problem a church is going through, the reason I would say the answer to that problem is humility, is because humility ushers in the presence of God. Humility brings God to our rescue. Humility opens the door and ushers in the grace of God. And friends, I tell you that when you humble yourself before God, I didn't say when you deserve it. I said when you humble yourself before God, you will find the grace of God. You'll find wonderful, saving, healing, restoring, marvelous, glorious grace when you humble yourself before God. Some of you old folks in the house will remember an old song we used to sing. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that can pardon and cleanse within. You remember the song? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all of our sin. Oh, friends, when grace comes in. Oh, when grace comes in. Things begin to happen. See, James paints this ugly, horrible picture of a church that's in rebellion and sin. And then he says, but God gives more grace. And he says the answer. This is an ugly picture of a church, but he gives a beautiful answer. And that beautiful answer is humility that brings in and ushers in the grace of God. It'll work in a church. Humility. It'll work in a family. Humility. It'll work in your individual life when you humble yourself down before God. I'm telling you, friends, Humility turns everything around. Thank God for grace. Would you bow with me in prayer? Thank you again for listening to this life-changing message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or you need someone to pray with you, then please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to visit River of Life this Sunday at 1030 a.m., in Crawfordville. For more information, visit us at riveroflifefl.com.